Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, where we aspire to bring you the greatest guests in the world to support you in your journey to live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Today's guest is going to help us dive into the idea of aligning your values and your purpose and ultimately deciding what your values are as we set foot into 2022. Uh, it's strongly advisable if you're someone who is desiring to step up in all areas of your life to take time, look back and reflect on the last 12 months, maybe the last number of years, set an intention moving forward and align them with your values. Paul Epstein joins me today to have a conversation about values about Paul's unique journey to the top of pro sports as a executive and his current new book, Playing Offense, and how we can all step into playing offense in our life to ultimately support our thriving. Thank you guys very much for being here. As always, uh, thank you to our podcast sponsor for today, Real Mushrooms. Ladies and gents, the greatest quality mushrooms on the planet are hooking you guys up. Thank you so much to realmushrooms.com for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I continually use mushrooms on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll flip between a number of different ones you guys know, uh, but especially right now in this challenging time we're in, where a lot of people are, are seriously fearful about their immune system. When my clients call me and ask for an immune protocol, um, without fail, there will be mushrooms on an immune protocol. I think specifically reishi mushroom is exceptional for helping with the immunity, helping to boost the immune system. And if you guys want to check out some of the amazing research, you can actually go over to realmushrooms.com and check out the great blogs and videos they have there on all the incredible value and benefits from mushrooms. So if you're not already taking at least reishi mushroom, I strongly suggest you do that. If you're somebody looking to optimize your brain, lion's mane is uh, an absolute essential. And so I've become a big mushroom advocate since seeing how it seems as though they don't really have a negative. And they have, again, that's a big statement, but they, they have a, a tremendous positive benefit. There are potentially some negatives in everything we do, uh, but we, so I don't want to say it's a panacea, but I do want to acknowledge that these things are truly beneficial to the human system, especially during times of immune compromise. Uh, so guys, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you to realmushrooms.com slash Ben to get hooked up with 30% off, which is unheard of. I hope you guys have an amazing holiday. I hope everything has been wonderful for you. Please be safe. Take care of yourself. Eat well, move well, get some sunshine, and let's all crush it in 2022. Enjoy the podcast. Paul Epstein. If you land on a $7 gig, most people would think, A, it's your first out of college, or B, it's this entry-level role. The reality is I was coming from a Fortune 10 six-figure job. Hmm. So prior to the $7, and this is something I even detail it out in my book from six figures to $7. So the really cool thing is that when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. And so I was working for a Fortune 10 and on the surface, yeah, the money was great. Everything seemed like it was rolling, but I started to realize that I didn't have this inner burn. There was no deeper meaning behind it. It was all just this very external thing. And so one day as I'm managing a sales territory, I'm driving around in the, 
uh, soccer mom band, as I call it. And literally, I'm listening to ESPN radio. And Mel Kuyper, NFL draft guru, comes on and is typical high energy, fired up self. And he says, have you ever wanted to work in sports? Have you ever dreamed of working for your favorite NFL, NBA, MLB club? And I'm just speeding down the highway like, yes, yes, yes. And then the call to action at the end of the commercial was call 1-877-SMWW now. SMWW stands for Sports Management Worldwide, eight-week online course, signed up. The professors essentially said, if you are a top student, we will open up our Rolodex and network. And that was my ticket in. And literally, even though on the surface, you think, oh, six figures, seven dollars, that's such a radical jump. Ben, I'll tell you, brother, it was one of the easiest decisions of my life because essentially you look at it like you're intersecting all your different passions. I knew I had a passion for business and I knew I had the gift of gab. So that led to the sales piece, but I was missing the connection to what I was selling. And, you know, when it became a matter of sports, Selling the LA Clippers, which as a fun fact, the year before I started for them, ESPN called us the worst brand in sports. Then Sports Illustrated doubles down and says the worst franchise in sports history. Meanwhile, and this is a decade and a half, two decades ago. So this is the Kobe and Shaq Lakers, which are dominating LA. And we're like this redheaded stepchild and you got to go sell that. Right. But I felt blessed. I felt honored. I felt privileged. And that was really my break into sports. So what were you selling when you were working with the Clippers? When you started at $7, what, what was that job? <laughs> um, anything. No, but in reality, tickets. Uh, you're, you're trying to put butts in seats. And so as an example, my position did not exist for the Lakers. When you're sold out, the entry-level sales guy trying to put butts in seats, it just does not exist. And so that's what you're doing. And you're calling whether businesses, whether you're calling consumers, you're just garnering any interest possible. And, you know, fast forward after 15 years in the NFL and NBA, which will totally unpack all the different stops wherever you want to navigate it. But, you know, for all those that are listening in, and if you're a sports fan, if you were to follow a team for 15 years and you think about what's the probability of making the playoffs over the course of 15 years, four years on a bad team, eight years on average, if you're lucky, a dozen out of the 15 years, then 15 years, one playoff experience, brother. Like I was selling the dog every single time, whether at an entry level or all the way up to the executive level where I ended up getting. So I know what it's like to not be the market leader. I know what it's like to get kicked in the teeth. I know what it's like to get rejected 99.9% of the time, but I also know what it's like to be able to grow from those experiences. Cause I always say, you know, if you work for the market leader, maybe you pick up an incoming call. I don't even know if you deserve credit for that. But for me, it was about the scrap. It was about just this daily gritty, just total underdog mentality. And I wouldn't be where I am without it. What are you selling at that point? I'm curious. Like, what is yeah. your, what is your approach? Cause you're not, you're not selling success, right? You're not, maybe you're not even selling. <laughs> I love excitement. it. What are you selling? I love it. Yep. So you are spot on in that team presidents would always tell us there's only one of two things you sell in sports, hope or results. So I spent 14 out of 15 years selling. That's it. Hmm. That's it. 
So one of the things you, you often talk about is is kind of the, the culture behind it all and, and maybe how you helped some some brands or some some clubs evolve the culture behind it all. I'd love to hear what your thought process is there, just in terms of you know developing a world-class brand, developing a world-class business and your involvement in that. Yeah. So culture building is interesting because I actually have a very different take from the majority of the world relative to culture. So if you think about parachuting into any company and saying they have a culture, most would say that it's top down. So essentially the C-suite sets the tone for the entire uh, organization and it cascades out, which to an extent, I think there is some truth to that. But for me, Let's say if I started on the front lines or if somebody listening in is at the middle of an organization, that's kind of a deflating perspective because essentially you're saying if the C-suite doesn't have their stuff together, if they are not setting the proper temperature in the room, then I don't have a chance. Basically, I have to wave the white flag and succumb to the fact that there's a toxic culture. So what if, what if there was a different take that all culture is local? And here's what I mean by that. So I worked for an organization. I did some consulting and training work for an organization, a major airline. They have over 100,000 employees. I I literally worked with all 6,000 of their positional leaders. And people always ask me, what was the culture of that airline? And I don't answer with an answer. I answer with some questions to say, for me to share that with you, I would have to know who's the leader, what department, what location, what floor of the building, that's the culture. Because floor five, great leader, great people, great energy, we're high-fiving. Floor six, watch out, bosses around the corner. Same company, same department, drastically different culture. Why? Because it's local. And what I mean by that is, Ben, when you or I walk in a room, we either warm it up or we cool it off. The question is, Are we even aware of what our own temperature is? And if every person could have that self-awareness of their temperature every single moment, every single time they enter an interaction or they walk into a room, that is how you own your own culture and that scales extremely well. So when I train culture, it starts at the individual level, which is a very empowering and inclusive way of approaching it. And now we're not relying on the C-suite to set the tone because each person walks in the room and dictates the culture. You said the magic word there is awareness, right? And I think I talk about that more than anyone yeah. uh, with my audience, the root of change, root of all change is awareness. But the thing that comes to mind for me, Paul, is, is it, what, is it, what does it look like? So you obviously have to be intentional, right? I can become yeah. aware of it, but then I have to be intentional about how to progress it. So how would you suggest someone uh, understand what they're moving toward, right? So you could have a benefit in uh, being a very specific personality, very specific energy in sales. Then you go home yeah. to your family, maybe a very different energy. Then you maybe go to uh, the gym and maybe need a different, very different energy. So how do you start addressing each of those avatars? And, and do you have avatars or do you suggest just like hey, you're kind of one person? For sure. And I love that you said avatars because I could describe it in a lot of different ways. I mean, you said energy. I could describe them as values. Uh, some people call them superpowers. Other people call them strengths. I, I don't get caught up in the word. I get caught up in how you show up because of 
whatever that word is. And so the simple way of thinking about it and to make this very accessible for everybody is if you were to ask the closest five to 10 people in your life and intentionally do this across different areas of life, don't just make it all family or all work, diversify who you're asking and say, if you could describe me in one word, what would it be? And you might get things like, oh, positive or energy are the two things I always hear, passionate, uh, caring, compassionate, whatever it is. And when you listen, because part of awareness, and I'm so stoked that you brought it up because I know that's a massive part of who you are and what you do. I, like you, am massive on awareness. I'm even writing a book. It's about purpose, but the foundation of purpose is knowing who you are. You can't know who you are unless you have massive awareness. And that's the whole EQ game, right? Like awareness, it's awareness of self, awareness of others, awareness of situation. Those are the three levels. But starting with self and getting back to that one word, however it is that people define you, if they say that you're a positive or a passionate person, if they say energy is your superpower, then that's what you need to be aware of. Because then you're playing to your strengths. You're, you're, otherwise, it drains your fuel to try to be something or somebody that you're not. But when you know who you are, through either your own lens or through the lens of those that know you best, and they actually might be a better assessor because they've seen you at your best, they've seen you at your worst, they can hopefully answer without bias because they care about you and they just want to shoot straight with you. And so that's how I would suggest. So to your point, whether you're in the gym, whether you're in the boardroom, whether you are at home, You've got to think about it is your energy level, but not just an extrovert, introvert type of energy. I think it's the aura that you conduct yourself with. So I almost consider it your identity. Like, who are you? And who are you on your best day? Because that should be the standard that you're holding yourself to. We all have bad days. I've made countless mistakes, as have you, as has anybody listening to this. We are very imperfect human beings. But that said, we also know what it's like to be in our optimal state. And so if you can deconstruct how you show up in your optimal state from a mindset and a heart set level, and I think these all come back to your core values, and I'd love to dive deep on values because to me, that's the secret sauce. You know, purpose is great. I talk about it all the time. It's a why, it's a North Star, it's phenomenal. But I, like others, have a tough time knowing how to apply it on Monday morning. But when I get it down to the granular level of values, that's my operating system. I can make that very actionable, very behavioral, very decision-making centric. So to me, yeah, finding my why changed my life, but applying my values is truly why it still is changing my life every day, a handful of years after I actually understood what my why was. Yeah. So I'd like to go at both of those, right? Ultimately helping people find their why. And and I think that's just like, you know, massive undertaking, but I'd love to start down down that path of saying, well, what does it look like to start finding your why? Is is the, the foundation of that ultimately, you know, being aware and understanding what, who you are? Yeah, the foundation and the process is it's a heavy life reflection exercise. So you've, I'll actually map this out. I think this will be helpful for everybody listening in. So if you were to have a blank piece of paper and you drew a line from left to right, just straight down the middle, left to right, and put two dots on each end, on the left end and on the right end, on the left end is birth, on the right end is present day. Above the line would be the peaks, the positives, the moments, the memories, the events, the experiences, but they're the pluses. 
And then guess what's below? Of course, it's the opposite. That's the the tragedies. That's the crisis. That's the, I mean, whether it's losing a loved one, whether it's a pandemic, it could be anything in between there, an illness that came into the family, whatever it was. Um, we've all had those things. We've all had to use sports terms. We've had losses and we've also had wins and we should be aware of both. And so for everybody, as I serve as whether it was the Y coach of the 49ers, now I coach purpose. Uh, I've done it for literally tens of thousands of people at this stage of my career, but it started with one at the Niners and that started to scale up. But really that's what I deconstruct. I deconstruct somebody's life to date. I have them talk about the most meaningful and impactful moments, memories, events, experiences of their life. I take a balanced approach of the positive and the pain. You have to touch both. I actually would veer if I had to go two third, one third, I'd go two third pain. Because to me, those are the, those are the pieces where I know we're going to get to values in a little bit, but the opposite of a value is a trigger, right? So if one of your values is an example is one of my core values is authenticity. Well, guess what pisses me off in authentic people. I hate superficiality. Like it's just a thing for me because it conflicts. It creates tension with what lights me up which are my core values. And so essentially the reason that we are dissecting our life is because what, after sharing, if I say, okay, start with one moment, start with one data point in your lifeline, as I call it, that whole exercise on paper. And somebody tells me the most impactful moment, memory, event, experience. And then I ask them for the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, usually by four or five, you start to see themes emerge. And those themes become the data points for your core values. So essentially, whether we're, whether we're dissecting peaks or valleys, they're the same exact themes that emerge. So at my best moments in life, so my five core values, I'll just share it with everybody listening, is courage, impact, belief, growth, and authenticity. So those five things are who I am. They are non-negotiable. They are what light me up. And if you show up in the opposite way, we're done. Like it's toast. Right. And, and I think that self-awareness of those five non-negotiables defining my identity. I'm not, my identity is not being a best-selling author, a keynote. That's what I do. Sure. A podcast host. That's awesome. That's what I do. Maybe that's how I express myself, but the spirit of all those things are my values. And so that's the key to awareness is going into that lifeline exercise and one other tactical. I love to get tactical with folks, Ben, if you don't mind, I'll share one quick exercise as well with everybody. And it's also in my book. It's an exercise of know what inspires you. And I'll, I'll come back to it in a second. The Latin definition of inspire is to breathe life into. So essentially the question is, do you know what breathes life into you? Because before you go off and inspire others, you must first know what inspires you. It's always that reflective look in the mirror. And so you should ask people to ask them, how have I shown up? How have I breathed life into you? How have you seen me show up in an inspirational way? But bring it down to one word and start with one word. Before you get a five core values, we always start simple, kind of crawl, walk, run mentality. And, and that's really how I deconstruct it. And when people know what inspires them, when they know how they breathe life into others, that kind of is the soul of how they can step into each day. 
That's great. So one of the, your values that stood out to me that I want you to dive into is belief. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, belief. So I always have folks after you define a value, or excuse me, after you identify a value, then you define it, but not like a Webster definition, your own definition. And so my definition of belief is I believe in people because they have believed in me. So after I told my lifeline to my partner, this is at a 49ers offsite executive retreat, we all find our why. This goes back to 2016. And this kind of, you know, parlayed into me understanding my calling and eventually taking that Jerry Maguire leap out of sports. But going back to that retreat, when my partner revealed after listening to a handful of my stories that, hey, brother, you know, the belief is something that just lights you up. And it's interesting, Ben, like it seems so natural and obvious now, but I had to go through that very intentional exercise to kind of unearth it. Like it was always inside of me, but I needed that partner to shine a light on it. And so when they told me belief, the reason they said it, they said, Paul, you keep giving so much. You have this abundance mentality. You give all this credit to the people, whether your parents or your teachers or your mentors or your coaches, like it's all a give. You're not a taker. You're a giver. And that kind of contribution-oriented mentality, they said, dude, I know you believe so much in people. A, how much do you believe in yourself? B, what do you believe in? And they started probing and asking me these questions. And it just started to fire me up in a very cool way, which is that's when you know what inspires you, what your core values are, you should have this sensation as you're talking about them, because this, whether you know it or not, is your ethos. It is your spirit. And and that's why, Ben, that's why when I say I believe in people because they have believed in me, I 100% would not be who I am or where I am without other people. And that is how I pay it forward. So right now, I believe in you. I believe in your audience. That's why I'm showing up with this intensity and this fire and this passion. This is not a podcast to me. This is an opportunity to breathe life into people. And that's what we're doing right now. But it's because of that deeper intrinsic belief. And that's the core value. And so that's how I would, that's how I show up in service of that value each day. Makes sense, man. I love it. Now tell me about authenticity. Yeah. So this one, okay. So this one came from a little bit of pain. Um, all right. So it's easy to say that authenticity is important to you, but sometimes you need to learn that lesson because you went against it. And when you went against it, it was one of the worst moments of your life. And so this is kind of the quick and dirty story of it all. All right. So if you were to separate my decade plus, even though I did 15 years in sports, it was about a handful of years, individual contributor. And then the last decade was in positional leadership roles all the way up to being an exec with the Niners. So I would say separate my leadership journey in four quarters. I love Paul in the first and I love Paul in the fourth. But what happened was as I had success and the LinkedIn profile is looking better and better by the day and by the year, nothing is broke. I ain't trying to fix a thing. So title, money, responsibilities, check, check, and check. And it just keeps on accelerating and growing. And what my secret sauce was in that first quarter was being very purpose-centered, was being very inspirational, was being the type of coach that wasn't a win-at-all-cost. It was more of a the score will take care of itself type of philosophy. And it was all about impact. How, do you, how can I impact each person in my span of care. I don't call them reports. I call it a span of care. 
And I learned a lot of these lessons. And I'm happy to share the story later if you'd like, but the story of losing my dad and how impact was my main memory of him. He did it in a classroom. I did it in a boardroom. But my inspiration comes from him. And he's literally a part of my why. And so getting back to the story of authenticity. So in the second and third quarter of leadership, it, it just became a thing where um, I didn't realize I, that I was getting away from me at my best. And it wasn't until a performance review that I reported into a team president at the time. And it's one of those, like uh, for those that are in a revenue oriented role, you'll, you'll understand this. When the scoreboard looks good, it's really hard to call out your flaws. You know, like after a win, it's really hard to get coached up because you're like, dude, we just won the game. And so in business, I was winning and winning and winning, winning. And so I go into performance reviews and all I hear is, attaboy, Polly, keep it up. That's it. Well, how do you grow? How do you evolve? How do you develop? How do you get better when that's the advice that you're given year after year? And you kind of start to believe it. You kind of start to believe that things might be perfect. And so, Ben, this is the reality of it. I heard another attaboy Polly from this team president, but on the inside, I didn't feel right. I didn't feel good. I knew something was broken. I knew something was off. And so I could have just walked out of his office and I was about to. And as I almost leaned over to grab the doorknob, I turned around and I said, hey, could you just give me one thing, like one thing to work on? One thing that I can get better at. And he said, absolutely, buddy, have a seat. And in my head, I'm like, dude, where was his feedback five or 10 or 15 minutes ago? But needless to say, he was happy to share. And he said, Paul, I'm going to share a quote from Roosevelt with you. And this is exactly where you need to get better. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And he kept talking, but I went numb when I heard him say that, because basically he said, your team doesn't think you care about them. And you know what the really crappy thing about that is? My heart cared, but my actions didn't show it. Hey guys, I interrupt this podcast to bring a special message from Mass Zymes. Enzymes are something that I've become an incredible advocate of over recent years, just learning more and more about uh, the degradation of our enzyme systems as we age, stress, inflammation, oxidative stress, sometimes take away from the body's ability to ultimately process food and ultimately produce enzymes. And anyone over the age of 40 should be considering supplementing with some type of enzymes. Anyone who's consuming a gram per pound uh, of, of protein per day or more, or even a little less than that, should strongly consider taking proteolytic enzymes to support protein digestion. If you're someone who feels like maybe you're not recovering, my first suggestion is don't eat more protein. My first suggestion is use more protein that you're consuming. We don't want to consume more food and have it cause an expensive bathroom visit. We want ultimately to uh, consume, digest, absorb, and assimilate what we eat. So that starts with obviously chewing and then progresses into making sure your body has enough hydrochloric acid and enzymes. Both of these things you can get when you go over to masszymes.com and uh, use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up. It's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S, masszymes.com, and use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off. Back to the show, it's Paul Epstein. So what does it matter that I had good intentions or I had a good heart? I sold out 
for career growth in that second and third quarter of leadership. And it was that pain, that moment, that realization that I had to hit rock bottom and tell myself, I will never sell out for another corporate goal if it goes against who I am. And I'm not blaming anybody else. The accountability and ownership, it falls and starts with me. But I sold out to the environment because I wanted a win or what I thought was winning back then. It was an external win, but it was an internal loss. And so that's when I shared that story. That's when my partner helped reveal to me that that sellout moment, that rock bottom moment, that's, that goes against one of my core values, which is authenticity. So how did you differentiate then between what you say, what you say was happening in your heart and your actions weren't matching that? So if, you, if you're saying authentic, authentically, you actually cared about these people, but your actions didn't. Talk to me about that a little bit, because, you know, how did you, how did you start to understand that in yourself? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you digging in here because honestly, this is um these are muddy waters, right? Like a lot of folks don't share things like this because um sometimes you're not proud to share things like this, but I'll just say this, especially in the roles that I had which was at the time whatever it was, vice president of sales, chief revenue officer, it was that type of a role. You know, there's always a scoreboard in sales, right? And so I think you have to make conscious decisions. And where I say that I sold out was my heart did care about people. My heart cared about my team. But in order to get to the number, my actions didn't reflect that. So an example is, you know, when somebody says, okay, like here today, as I lead a team, I believe that life is very holistic now. I believe that. Um, people call it balance. I'm not sure that I use that word. I call it work-life harmony. Work-life harmony to me is like you put in the work that's necessary to put in. But that said, if if you have a family and it's important to you for you to be at your daughter's recital, then you should be at every single recital that's important to you and just get your stuff done when you can get it done. To me, that's work-life harmony. And so I wasn't applying that type of a principle back then. It was just cracking a whip to get to a number because that's what we had to do, whether for financial reasons or career growth reasons. And so deep down inside, I care about Billy and Bobby and Susie. I care about them. But the way I showed up was we haven't hit quota. Let's get back to work. And so that's an example of you keep doing that over the course of a year and people are going to check out on you. And that's why I received the feedback that I received. That sounds like a values conversation though, doesn't it? It sounds like in the moment you valued the outcome, you valued the money over valuing their, their, you know, their, their well-being, their well-being. Yeah. And, and, and again, and I think reflecting back to what if you could do the same things? Like if you're like, Hey, let's work, work, work. But sometimes I think we don't explain the why, or sometimes, you know, we get so stuck in this carrot and stick world that, we forget that there has to be some sort of an intrinsic payout. I, I say intrinsic intentionally. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you know what lights people up, like if I don't know what gets you out of bed, if I don't know what motivates you personally and professionally, if I am not serving those needs and all I'm doing is like cracking a whip to get to a number or hit a goal or metric or KPI, key performance indicator, like that's that's bad boss, right? Like. And that's why I separate leader and manager. 
I totally think that leader is the people-centered person. And I think manager is just a driver of a, of a result or an outcome. And unfortunately, in this world, and I'm on a mission to flip this, we got a lot more managers and leaders. And I know because I've been both. Yeah, there's a lesson in there for me is you can climb the exact same mountain holding a different psychological framing. You know, what it boils down to is I have to versus I get to. And if you can just kind mm. of flip that flip that from one to the next, it completely changed the entire experience. You get the same result, but you're getting, you're enjoying the process in a different way along the journey. It sounds like, you know, the leadership framing is like, hey, we're trying to make this team realize that they can do this, still get the same result, maybe even exceed that result and actually enjoy the process because I get to rather than I have to. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to double click on that have to versus get to thing because uh, it's like you're a mind reader. And, and hey, for everybody listening, and I promise you, Ben did not know this about me before he said what he just said. But literally, Ben, you just shared, I journal three things every morning. And one of the three is what do I get to do instead of have to? So my first is gratitude. I think a lot of people journal gratitude. So what am I grateful for is first sentence. Second sentence is what do I get to do today? Right. So a pandemic example would be uh, early when, when things were kind of in transition. It was when I was a live event speaker transformed into a webinar professional. Right. And that was a rocky road at the beginning. Um, I have to do a webinar today would be the have to. I get to inspire 80 lives. Physically, it's the same thing, but the, the mindset and the energy set that you show up with and then the, the third piece, so gratitude being one, get to is number two that I journal. The third is excitement. Uh, and, and here's a fun rule for everybody listening in. So my rule about excitement is I journal, what is one thing? I pull out the calendar and I look at it and I say, what's one thing on the calendar that I'm excited about today? And I have a rule for this because the first time you do it, you might look at your calendar and say, <laughs> nothing, right? <laughs> like sometimes there's just nothing that excites you. Okay. That's day one. If the next morning you sit down in your journaling chair and the same question, what am I excited about today? And again, the answer is nothing. My rule is you don't get out of your journaling chair until you put something on the calendar today that does excite you. So when you create this rule to use baseball terminology, worst case, you're batting 500. Worst case, every other day, you're doing something that excites you. And what you'll realize through habits and rituals and just better mindset is you go from 500 to 600 to 700 to 800 to 900, probably nine out of 10. I'm close to 10 out of 10 now, but it started with creating a journaling rule for myself that I will not get out of the chair until I put something on the calendar that does excite me. And folks, this can be so small. Like, uh, fun fact, one of my favorite foods, and I know, especially for the health and fitness folks, you're probably going to throw bows and arrows at me for saying this, but I love bacon. All right. It's like my guilty pleasure. Well, guess what, folks? If excitement for me is having, uh, you know, a nice BLT at some point during the day, that's cool. That's a simple thing. I can execute on it. Maybe excitement is a fun date night that was very unexpected and unanticipated with my spouse. Maybe it's something work-related and I'm thinking about one of my team members and, oh, I know what excites them. And so in a service-oriented mindset, now I'm doing that, but it wasn't on my calendar unless I created that hard, fast rule in my journaling process. So just wanted to share that out in case anybody wants to adopt that. That's great. Paul, tell me what it means to play offense. I'd love to hear where that came from and what that means to you. 
Yeah. So after a decade and a half in a high performance environment, I got to observe a lot of athletes. I also got to observe what it's like to be in the front office of those organizations in the NFL and NBA. And you start to see trends and themes, and you start to realize relative to performance, what separates the elite from the pack. And as I reflect back, I now realize that there are two types of people relative to performance. And everybody listening in knows both types. One has this kind of mentality of playing not to lose. So they're never going to fail big, but they're never going to win big. And the other has this mindset of playing to win. The first one, figuratively speaking, they're always on their heels. The second group, always on their toes. The first group, the market, external circumstances are always going to dictate their terms. The second group, operates on their own terms. So they play with purpose, they play with passion, and they take control of their future. And so as you think about both of those groups, the first group is playing defense. The second group is playing offense. And I had to really codify a lot of my thoughts about what separates the elite from the pack. And that's really when you talk about what playing offense is, I just described defense versus offense. Why I wrote the book was to inspire a more offensive mindset in each and every one of us, because it doesn't take an athlete to, A, play to win, B, always approach life on your toes, B or C, operate on your terms and then play with purpose and play with passion. Like, I think the more that we can be true to ourselves, that's a playing offense mindset. And then I essentially extrapolated it out into five pillars, all of which are in the book. And the first is more around purpose. The second is around grit. The third is around inspiring who previously was disengaged by kind of shining a light on that underappreciated corner of the locker room. The fourth pillar is really about culture becoming the competitive advantage. And then the fifth is all about impact and legacy. So when you start a journey and the arc of playing offense, it starts with purpose, it ends with impact and legacy. It becomes a very intrinsic conversation. You don't need other people to play offense. You need to look deep within yourself and say, how do I want to approach each day? And man, I'll tell you, whether it was football, basketball, any other sport, whether it's in yourself in the gym, uh, in the health and fitness world, whether it's business, whether it's life, I just think that people that play offense are going to be healthier across all holistic areas because it essentially is the fuel that we operate off of. Yeah, I love that you said that's not ironic. I was I was journaling on that this morning. The idea of uh, moving away from pain, which seems to be how most people live, it's a reactive lifestyle yeah. versus being proactive and moving toward what you want. Right? It seems like in our yeah. world right now, most people are just doing their best to to not uh, be in pain, not be in discomfort, to you know ultimately not you know just make just to make enough to pay their bills or whatever it happens to be, versus moving toward very specific objectives. And I think that's the line that you're drawing right there is like. You know, the people who succeed in life are moving towards, we're moving toward goals, we're moving toward outcomes, moving toward purpose, impact, all these words you're saying. People yeah. who ultimately are, are not are reactive to, you know, whatever life throws at them. 
Yeah. And to your point, Ben, I love that you said that because, all right, you brought up the interesting fork in the road of have to versus get to. I'll, I'll introduce a separate fork in the road. And, and many folks may have heard of this, but you've got to ask yourself, does life happen for you or to you? That's the fork in the road. And that's what connects to what you just said. Because unfortunately, and it pains me to say this, I don't love being able to say this, but if you say that there's a lot of reactive in the world, there's in some cases, there's a lot of victim mentality in that, right? Like, oh, this happened to me, this happened to me. And, and then things like social media, and we compare ourselves to the top 1% of other people's lives, which is like, dude, it's, it's, it's false. Like, hmm. who are you? Who do you want to become? What are you striving toward? And look, even in tragedy, even in crisis, even during a pandemic, as an example, that didn't happen to you. Like if you took on a victim mentality because of the pandemic, like in my case, I'll, I'll just be very upfront. 90% of my income disappeared because of the pandemic in 2020. I rely on big in-person gatherings and live events as a keynote speaker, gone. But guess what? What good would it do if I had to wallow in that pain every day and woe is me and Eeyore my way through life. I could have, I had a financial reason to, I could have said my livelihood was taken away, but that would be a defensive mindset. So the offensive mindset is like, all right, these external circumstances changed. It was totally out of my control. I haven't ever experienced anything like this. And after the dust wears off, I'm not saying we're all machines in the next hour, you're just blasting out of the front door, dominating the world. That's not true at all. But I'm saying after you can process what has happened, now what do you do about it? And I just think that's a healthier mindset because now it did pandemic didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And yeah, it's easy now a year and a half or two years into whatever it is to say, Hey, here's all these amazing outcomes because of how I had to pivot and reinvent and um, open up new doors and create a new lifestyle and all of these things. There's countless silver linings and benefits now, but make no mistake, there was some early pain, but had I approached it with a different mindset, I'm not telling this story right now. Yeah, it's a gross mindset, right? At the end of the day, totally seeing totally. an opportunity in the obstacle. And I think- People who succeed get that, right? Someone, and then there, there's there's so, I think growth mindset exists on a continuum. It's not black and white, right? You're not on or off. It's a continuum because there's certainly people out there who are open to deep levels of criticism and deep levels of honest feedback and actually take it and move on with it. Some people you give them a little bit of feedback. They don't like it very well. So again, <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a spectrum, isn't there, when it comes to like this true growth mindset? Yeah. And I, I think growth mindset, we could define it in so many ways. And, you know, the way Carol Dweck and her amazing work she introduced, it was more around that at the end of the day, hard work is in many ways going to be talent. If the talent doesn't work hard, that type of mindset, right. That like, basically like you are in control of how great your potential can become regardless of that starting point or your current state. So I think that's how she defined it. And uh, to your point, I think we tap into potential, but yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point you bring up about, so if growth mindset for me, and actually I'll share this. So I mentioned earlier, growth is one of my core values. And my definition of growth is it's the mindset that I will attack each day with. 
I purposely and intentionally have the word attack in there because it doesn't come natural. Like, I don't think like, okay, you know this, cause I, I, we, and we have a lot of mutual contacts and um, I know you have a lot of doctors on the show. So you probably have some neuroscientists and like, so uh, again, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, going back to the uh, prehistoric days and the earliest days of homo sapiens and of humanity, the way that our brains are wired, our default setting is intended to seek comfort, to seek security, to seek uh, stability, all of these things. So some would argue that's not always in line with the growth mindset. And that's exactly the point. I think sometimes to make the analogy, you're running downhill or you're running uphill, much easier to run downhill. Of course, I think relative to growth mindset, we're all running uphill until you develop habits and rituals and a consistency and a commitment and a dedication to it. And now it starts to level off. I'll never say that we're running downhill, but at least I feel like I'm running flat now after years and years of like tearing through the muscle of the mindset to say like, man, how do I cultivate a growth mindset? And it's not easy. And a lot of pain and tension and untangling of bad habits comes with it. And you have to go against maybe the way your mind does default to stability, security, comfort. But I don't know. I I mean, here's the beauty, right? And I think I'll, I'll pay this forward to everybody listening in. I keep bringing up how to discover your values or the benefits, I should say, of discovering your values. Where I got a little lucky here is one of my other core values is courage. All right. Well, courage cannot exist without fear, right? Like in the absence of fear, there is no courage. And in the words of Brene Brown, another amazing thought leader, uh, I believe, and I'm paraphrasing here, that you can choose comfort or you can choose courage, but you cannot have both simultaneously. So when you think about that, think about that, that's growth mindset. So every time that I'm afraid, every time my mind defaults to this safe cocoon, like, okay, I could just settle for that. I could become reactive. I could inherit that fixed mindset, or I could tear through that muscle. And I could intentionally say, this is going to be a painful ride, but I know that there's a juicier, better outcome. And I just need to be comfortable with discomfort. And that's whether in your world or my world, I mean, that's universally applicable. Right. And I think the way that I frame it is I don't know that the mountain ever gets flat. I think you just change your perspective as to what steep is. There you go. Yeah. Like the the mountain can compared to everybody else. You're still, you're still hauling ass uphill. They can't keep up, but you just change your perception as to, as to what steep is. And I think that's, that's truly the difference between people who set themselves apart is you're just able to operate at a different speed, at a different level. I always say I have a gear that most people will never understand. Um, and that's just years of like drilling it and drilling it and yeah. drilling it. And it didn't come easily or naturally, right? So it sounds like you're you're in the same boat where like sometimes your fear and your inadequacy drove your courage and drove your, your growth and uh, ultimately allowed you to step into this new leadership role you're taking on. Or maybe not new leadership role, but this leadership role you're stepping into. Yeah. And, and, you know, my favorite title is just a leader in life. (laughs) You, you could throw in anything after the comma and you could throw all these sexy organizations or brands or whatever, but at the end of the day, like, are you a leader in life? And my philosophy is before you lead others, you must first lead yourself and you don't need a title to lead yourself. Mm -hmm. So we democratize leadership. Everybody listening to this, you are a leader. Should you choose, choose 
to step into it. Yeah. Who's been the single greatest influence in your life? My dad. Yeah. 100%. You, said, you said you wanted to share that story and how he led you toward impact. Yeah. So only child and I lost him when I was 19. So I still remember picking up the phone, getting the news. And I picked up the call as a boy and I hung it up as a man. Because when you're an only child and you lose your role model, your icon, your everything, you know, my mom instantly went from a parent to a partner and you got to grow up like yesterday. And, you know, what's really interesting and Ben, whether for you or for anybody listening in, um, if you've lost somebody, maybe this will resonate, but I've actually learned more from my dad since the day he passed than when he was alive because of the stories that I've heard from the people that he impacted. So by trade, my dad was a teacher at a continuation high school. And for those that aren't familiar with continuation schools, it's a kid's last chance. They've been kicked out of traditional schools. You land at a continuation school and there is nothing next. So a lot of broken homes some disadvantaged backgrounds. The hope and the prayer is that they, the kids don't end up becoming statistics on the street. And after teaching in traditional schools for years, my dad intentionally chose this environment. So a few blocks from the school that he taught at, years after he passed away, I'm in a barber shop and I'm in the barber seat and in the front door walks a seven foot tall man tattoos on every square inch of his body and face, like a scary looking cat. Like you see him in a dark alley, you are running the other way. And he and I lock eyes and he is coming right at me. And I see his hand go up. And as I'm bracing for impact, totally expecting to see a fist, I actually saw a finger and he was pointing right at me. And he said, are you Mr. Epstein's son? I said, yeah. He goes, I, I thought it was you. You look familiar. You were on the side of the stage that I graduated from years ago. Anyways, I just wanted to come over and say, thank you. Thank you because your dad was the first person that ever believed in me. I've had a job for two consecutive months now. And that may not sound like much to you, but it means the world to me. And this next part is what got me, Ben. He said, your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow was worth it. And up until that point, I didn't know that there were people in the world that didn't think that tomorrow was worth it. And it just hit me. This gentleman that I was afraid of moments ago now seemed like an angel delivering a message to me. And that's when I learned what leadership is. That experience, that moment taught me what impact is. Like my dad changed and impacted, maybe even saved lives, but it was based around wanting to create a positive impact. He may have chosen a classroom. I chose a boardroom, but the reason is the exact same. And so it all ties back to not only impact being my core value, but, and it's my strongest value out of the five, but you know, my why, while I have words to it, to inspire purpose in others so they can play offense in life, 
I firmly believe that everybody has a why under the why. And my why under the why is to make my dad proud. And it's because of stories like that. And literally having a one-year-old now, I can't wait to share stories like this uh, with little PJ about his granddad. That's so awesome, man. Great story. And great to see you had such a great pop movie obviously uh, impacted you in many ways, man. So thanks yeah. so much for joining us today, buddy. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd love to have you tell the audience where they can learn more from you, pick up your book and anywhere else you want to send them. Yeah, absolutely. So paulepsteinspeaks.com is website. Everything and anything you need is there. And the book, The Power of Playing Offense, of course, available on Amazon, anywhere else. But uh, most important, just fired up to have everybody in the community. And Ben, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, man. It's absolutely a pleasure. That's a wrap, ladies and gents, boys and girls. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm truly grateful. I hope the year has ended well for you. I know we're facing some challenges, but see them as opportunities, right? That conscious flip, when I see something in front of me that seems like an obstacle, that maybe seems like uh, a challenge, I'm looking at it and going, where's my opportunity to learn? Where's my opportunity to learn to be more calm? Where's my opportunity to be more present? Where's my opportunity to be more positive? Where's my opportunity to be more grateful? Um, and, and then ultimately determining all of those things that you value and prioritizing them in your life. You have to be intentional about these things in your life. As you just heard Paul talk about in this podcast, where he literally talks about his gratitude every day in his journal. He talks about what he wants to be excited about today uh, in his journal. Like writing those things every day is important, right? So find the things that are most important to you and you can journal on them every day just to keep them front of mind because otherwise your consciousness is getting pulled in every different direction. So my suggestion, guys, is uh, take action on these little, little habits you're learning in these podcasts and that's how your life starts to change. It's never big things, right? Everyone's always looking for the big, red, shiny object that's going to change your life. It never happens. It's the small stuff done every day consistently that makes a difference. So in 2022, one of my commitments to myself is journaling. Journaling is something that I've done on and off for many years. And I always find if I journal, I'm so much more successful. It allows me time to reflect. And it allows me time to keep things that are most important to me front of mind. So I encourage each and every one of you guys to sit down in days to come, weeks to come, and map it out. What do you want to keep front of mind? That's it, right? Do you want to keep positivity front of mind or do you want to keep media front of mind? Do you want to keep your goals front of mind or do you want to keep your failures front of mind? And it's your, your choice, right? You can reflect on your failures and use them as a platform, a springboard to drive future outcomes. Guys, thank you very much for being here. Thank you to both of our sponsors from today's podcast, realmushrooms.com slash Ben is going to get you hooked up with 30% off realmushrooms.com slash muscle. We'll get you 20% off if you're a repeat customer. And also thank you again to our amazing longtime sponsor by Optimizers for hooking you guys up with Masszymes. Masszymes.com slash muscle gets you hooked up with 20%. Also, uh, that code will not last forever. They're actually noticing that um, you know, our, our sales are, are fantastic and we're getting great results. Uh, but so they're not maybe going to leave the, the code around for long. Um, so make sure you guys take action on that. And uh, without further rambling for me, thank you for being here. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review and have a great day. Live your greatest life in a body you love. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.